All right, good evening. Good to see you guys here that are with us this evening. And those of you who are here in person, those who are online, good to see you guys. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll look at verses 16 through 22. And I just want to start out by saying while you're looking through the for the book of Ecclesiastes, I know it's hidden there in the Old Testament somewhere. You guys can find it. And then I love the Sunday evening service, and I always have. Uh, from the time I was little to the point where I got saved as a young man, I've, I've enjoyed the Sunday evening services, and nobody understands how hard it is to get here on a Sunday evening better than I do. I understand that we leave here, and uh, we, we go home, and we get something to eat, and we lay down, and we watch TV, and the kids get on their games. We just kind of settle in, and it's hard to get everybody up and shoes back on and get going for a Sunday evening service. But I've always found, and I hope you do too, that it's worth every bit of trouble in getting here to get here and to open up the Word of God and study together again. One more time. To close out our day, we started in the house of the Lord and we ended in the house of the Lord. So I love the Sunday night service, and tonight's going to be a good one. I think this passage will be great for us. I think it will teach us a valuable lesson as we look at tonight, and I've titled it, Living Life in a Fallen World. And you could almost title it The Secret to Living Life in a Fallen World. Tucked away in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, God, gives us the secret to living life in this rough world that we're living in. And I think it'll help us all to be able to live life. That's the whole point of me preaching this tonight. Is the point of Solomon writing this, God putting this in there, is to help everybody in this room and everybody that will watch this later on to, to live life just a little bit better. And we all want to do that. So let's stand together and I'll read these verses to you. Uh, starting in verse 16 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's look at living life in a fallen world. Starting in verse 16 there it says, And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. And I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every purpose and for every work. And I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might be seen, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a, of a, above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place, and all are of the dust, and all turn to the dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? This is a great passage for us to study tonight as we try to figure out a better way to live life in a fallen world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Ecclesiastes. I know there's not many that have studied it, not many that have read it. Some may not even have known it was in the Bible. But God, I believe it contains the, the secret to living life. I, I believe it answers all the big questions of life, the meaning, the purpose, the joys of life. And God, I think it can help us. It's helped me in these days to, to live a better life. And I, I want to help our people here, God, as I know these are trying times. That if ever there's evidence that we live in a fallen world 2020 and 2021 is, is uh, proof positive. So God, we need help. In these dark days, how can we live better? So help us to do that tonight. Help us to learn how to live life in a fallen world. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. 
I'm going to tell you two stories to start out that shows you just a snapshot of life in a fallen world. One is about a man named C.S. Lewis. He was a great, great author of, of the 1900s, and he wrote maybe a book that you guys have heard of, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was a good Christian man uh, that had some weird beliefs about, about a few things, but uh, for the most part, he was solid. And, and he said this after his wife died, and he wrote this in a book. His wife passed away, and it was a very dark time for him. And he wrote in his book, this is the question that he had. He said, meanwhile, this is his quote, meanwhile, where is God? He said he looked for God and found a door slammed in his face. He said, not just a door that was slammed in my face, but uh, the door, uh, the sound of a bolting of the door and a double bolting of the door behind the door slamming in my face. He said, that's how I felt, that after my wife died, I felt like God was nowhere to be found, that he was hiding from me, and I just didn't understand what was going on. That's tough. I even wrote down in my notes there, ouch, what a quote. Then I found another quote by a young mother fighting cancer. She wrote a book about her, her battle with cancer, and she said this, I didn't understand that while I was fighting for my life, others we're scrolling through Facebook and Instagram. She said it didn't seem fair. And I wrote again in my notes, ouch. I mean, what do you say to, to C.S. Lewis or to this young mother who is fighting for her life while everybody else seemed to be out enjoying just the smallest things in life of scrolling through social media? I mean, what do you say to this? How do you explain to somebody that's going through something like this? How do you give them an explanation? How do you, how do you explain life to them? And the only answer that we can give them, I mean, there's no words of comfort for C.S. Lewis over this young mother. The only thing that we can do to explain why that's not fair and where God seemed to be in this story is the say we live in a fallen world we live in a world where uh, we're at enmity with God we live in a world where there's no longer at peace with God we are at enmity with God we live in a world of darkness and not light we live in a world of sin and not righteousness we live in a world where evil wins where justice is perverted, where kids are abused, where cancer kills, where planned parenthood exists and thrives. We live in a world where COVID shuts us down. We live in a world where politics divide even families. We live in a world where there's riots and there's looting. And I could go on and on. Any headline that you want to look at, that's evidence of a fallen world. That's where we live. It's a messed up world. And we need to understand that now. I try to explain that to my kids when they say, what's going on? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world after Eden. We live in a world after the garden. In the garden, everything was right. But when Adam and Eve fell, the world fell with it. And that's the world that we live in today. A fallen world. It's bad. It's evil. It's corrupt. It's unjust. It's just not right. And we need to understand that. And as we understand that, we've got to ask, well, how do we live in it? How do we live in a world where evil wins? How do we live in a world where justice is perverted? How do we live in a world where kids are abused? How do we live in a world where cancer kills? How do we live in a world where Planned Parenthood is funded? How do we live in a world like that? And that's the answer that Solomon is going to give us. That's the answer that C.S. Lewis was trying to figure out. That's the answer the, the young mother didn't understand. That's the answer that, that not many of us do understand. How can we live in a world like this? Well, Solomon says, I've seen it all. 
I've, I've, and that's what he says. And moreover, I saw that under the sun, he's talking about my whole life that I've lived. I've seen it all. I've, I've stared these things in the face. I've lived in this fallen world. And he has. Solomon has, has seen it all. He's done it all. He's had people die in front of him. He's lost parents. He's lost children. He's lost wives. I mean, there's all these things that have happened in Solomon's life. And now he's going to write to us, not philosophical answers of, uh, how does good, a good God allow evil in the world? But practical answers, day-to-day life, how do we live in a world like this? These verses show us how to live life in this fallen world, how to deal with it, how to, how to face it head on. And what he does here, I'm just going to give us two points here, because what he does is he shows us two things that will happen to all of us in a fallen world. Two things that every single one of us will face. Injustice and the inevitability of death. And he says, here's how you face those two things. So let's look at these things and let's learn how to live in a fallen world. Number one, I want to teach you, or Solomon does, how to deal with the injustices of life. Or you could say, if it's, if it's like my kids, you could say, how to live when life ain't fair. That's, that's the... the, the, the the kid's way of saying what we're looking at. How to live when life ain't fair. How to live when somebody cuts in line in front of you. How to live when life ain't fair. How to, how to deal with the injustices of life. Look what he says. And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment. He's, again, he's experienced this. He's seen it. He's, he's lived it. That under the sun, from the, from the Garden of Eden to the, to the Garden in Heaven, that's what he's talking about. I've seen this. Here's what I've seen. That in the place of judgment, which is the place where there ought to be justice, this would be the, the courtroom, the place where it ought to be right. It ought to be uh, right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and, and he's, the place where it should be right. What did he find? The, face where ought, the place where it ought to be right, where it ought to be fair. The place where Lady Justice ought to stand with her blindfold on saying everything's equal. The place where Lady Justice stands and, and she has a sword in her hand going to bring about proper justice. What did he find? The place where it ought to be right. I found wickedness. And the place where there ought to be righteousness. I found iniquity. He said, I saw where it should have been just. It was unjust. Where it should have been right, it was wrong. He said, I saw where innocent people were going to jail. I saw where the guilty was being let go. I saw where people were being pardoned and let off from their, their crimes, and they didn't deserve it. I'm seeing where there ought to be justice, and there's injustice. And what he's telling us here in verse 16 is I've seen that life ain't fair. And I think every one of us in this room could sit there and nod our heads and say, you better believe that's true. Life ain't fair. We've seen in courtrooms where it ought to be right and it ought to be fair and it ought to be just. And it's not been. We've seen these things. And, and we need to understand that's what he's trying to teach us in verse 16. That there was no justice then. And, and, and we're living in a time when everybody's screaming for justice. The world is unjust. It's like they're just now finding that out. 
When Solomon's been saying, it's been like that from his days. It's been like that from the garden, from the time when Adam and Eve fell until today and all the way till Christ returns. It will be an unjust world. He says life isn't fair. It never will be. Look in Ecclesiastes 5.8. I like this. He says, if thou seest the, the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment, of justice, in a province, marvel not at the matter. You know what that says? Don't be surprised by it. When you see injustice in the world, don't let that shock you. That's how the world is. It's a fallen world. Understand that life isn't fair. That the world isn't just. That's how the world is. He's explaining that to us. Kids will cut in line. It's, it's, that's how, I mean, from the very youngest of ages, they will cut in line. And then as, as they get older and they got, you're going to try to apply for college, it's not always the one that deserves it that gets in. And then as you get even older and you start to play sports, it's not the ones that are the best athletes that always get the most playing time. Why? Because life ain't fair. And then as you come become adults and you apply for the job, it's usually not how how qualified you are for the job that gets you the job. It's usually who you know that gets you the job. Life isn't fair. There's no perfect cop. There's no perfect judge. There's no perfect lawyer. I, mean, I, I would assume somebody would say amen to that. There's no perfect politician. There's no perfect preacher. Life isn't fair. There's going to be injustice in the world everywhere we turn. And get this, the rest of the world is far worse than we are. I think America is one of the most just nations that's ever existed. I mean, you go into other nations and you think it's unfair here. Go to Africa and see how just it is. Go to Iran, go to the Sudan, go to any of the uh, the Kakistans or any of the stands that you want to go to. It's not fair, it's not right, it's unjust. I mean, just go anywhere you want to go. America is one of the most just places that's ever existed in the world. We worry about women being presidents. In those countries, those women can't even show their faces. We worry about equal pay. They have kids in sweatshops. That's the world we live in. It's an unjust, unfair world where there's genocide, where there's holocaust. And get this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep hammering this, it won't get better. If the, the mantra of our day is no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace, then that means there will never be peace. Because there will never be justice in the world. We live in an unfair world. And if we could teach our kids that, that, that's the problem in our society. That our kids have never been taught life ain't fair. They've never been taught injustice will always exist. So when they see it, they go up in arms and we've got to stop this. This is the world we live in. We will never find the world being a utopia where everything is perfect. So what do we do? How do we live in a world like this? The answer isn't to protest. That's not what he says in verse 17. The answer isn't to vote. We're going to have to new, new politicians will make it more just. The answer isn't complain online with the hashtag, that's not fair. Again, we have a generation that doesn't know how to cope with things being not fair. We've spoiled kids rotten. People have never been taught how to deal with injustice. 
And most won't like this, but here's his answer. Verse 17. Verse 16 is the problem of injustice. Verse 17 is the answer. Here's how God's people deal with injustice in the world. He said, I said in my heart, which is, I'm telling myself. This is how I'm going to deal with it. When I see injustice, when I see these things happening, I'm going to tell myself something. I, I'm not going to go, and I'm fine with you voting and, and, and trying to, trying to get the right things done. But he says, I'm going to tell myself something. I'm going to sit there. When I see kids being abused, when I see people dying of cancer, when I see all these injustices that are out there, when I see prejudice in, in the world, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell myself. God will take care of it. I mean, that's what it says. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time there for every purpose and for every work. What he's saying is God will fix this. God will take care of this. God will make this right. God will judge both the righteous and the wicked. God will make sure. God is keeping meticulous record of every wrong that has ever been committed. Every injustice in every courtroom, in every police station, in every heart, in every mind. God is keeping track of it all. And God will judge it all. And God will make it all right. That's what he's telling himself. God will take care of this. I can't fix it. I can't make it right. But I know who will. God will take care of this. That's how we deal with it. He watches. He catalogs. He keeps score year after year. He sees all the tears and all the suffering. Even deep down in our hearts. And God will not let it go. He will take care of it. Nahum chapter 1, another book you might not know exists, says he won't let the guilty go unpunished. <laughs> Every single injustice, God will take care of. No crime will go unpunished. He's coming back on a horse with a sword. Yes. And he'll take care of everything. And there won't be no bribery in that moment. And there won't be no loopholes. And there won't be no slimy lawyers getting people off that shouldn't be getting off. He will judge everything with righteousness and justice. Nobody will get away with anything. I'm going to get myself in trouble for asking these questions. But did Biden cheat to get elected? I don't know. But if he did, God will make it right. I'm going to turn it around. Did Trump collude with Russia? You guys all have opinions on this. Every one of you. I don't know. But if he did, God will make it right. Did the cops kill Breonna Taylor or George Floyd out of an act of racism? I don't know. But if they did, God will take care of it. We leave these things to God who will judge the righteous and the wicked. And get this. You say, when's it going to happen? He'll do it in his time. Look what it says. It says that. For there is a time 
Because we want it right now, don't we? I mean, that's what verse 17 says, that he's going to do it in his time. Acts 17.31 says there's appointed an appointed time when he will judge. But we don't like a time. We don't want to think it's going to happen later. We want instant justice right now. We want the cop fired on the spot right now. We want, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I want their car to die on them one mile down the road. I want when somebody jumps on me, I want their teeth to fall out. Immediately, right now. That's what we want. We want justice right now. But if that's the case, and that's the world you want to live in, where justice is instantly, in a moment, you live in that world too. And that justice will fall on every single one of us the second we do something wrong. We want justice instantly on everybody else but us. So what's the world we're living in? We want justice, not on me. <laughs> right? Solomon says God will do it in his time. We live in an unfair world. We do. And I know I'm, I'm making some jokes. And it's not right. And it's not fair. And things happen. We live in this world by telling, us, telling ourselves like he did over and over and over that God will eventually take care of it all. You know what that's called? Faith. God will take care of this. I know he will. It's not in my hands. Romans says vengeance belongs to God. It's not in my hands. It's not up to me to make everything right. It's in my hands to do what I can on a day-to-day basis to be a, a just and a right Christian man and father and pastor. But when it comes to all those other things, it's out of my hands and I leave it to the hands of Almighty God who will make everything right one day. He'll right every wrong. He'll balance every scale. He'll correct every injustice. We can't fix the world's problems, but we can trust that God will one day. And if we get this, it helps us live in this world. Understand this. If we don't understand, if we don't get this, what he's saying, if we don't get that, uh, if we don't face the reality of injustice, we'll live lives full of anger and bitterness. But if we get this, our lives will be full of calm and peace because we trust that God's going to take care of it all. If we don't get this, we're always going to be fighting mad. Oh, that's not fair. You know, our kids say that. Oh, that's not fair. That's not right. God will take care of it. Calm down. In his time, he'll take care of everything. In his time, he'll take care of the bad cops. In his time, he'll take care of the bad lawyers. In his time, he'll take care of the bad politicians. In his time, he'll take care of the preachers. I, I, that's the one that fires me up. These preachers that, that we were talking about this morning that, that just... Pray on God's people. Why does he let it keep going? That's not fair. God will take care of it. He'll take care of all that injustice. All that unfairness. I say to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked in his time. He'll take care of them. It's almost like we live in a world that's never read the book of Ecclesiastes. If they did... There'd be a whole lot less of the mess that we see. 
So there's how we face the injustices of life. Let's move on to the second. And we all face that. And we'll all face this next one. The first one was the injustices of life. And the second one is how to deal with the inevitable of life. There's one inevitable. They say there's two things that you can be guaranteed of, death and taxes. And here he's going to talk about one of those, death. It says in verse 18, he moves to the next one. I just want you to see that verses 16 and 17 is about injustice. And verses 18 through 22 is about death. These are the two things that we see in life that are the hardest things to face. And he's going to teach us how to deal with these things. The inevitable of life, which is death. He said in verse 18, I said in my heart. So again, he's, he's talking to himself concerning the estate of the sons of men. That God might show them, manifest to them this truth. He wants man to see this truth. Not only that life isn't fair, but that we die after it's not fair. I mean, you, you almost think that he's just a, a depressed man. Life's not fair, then we die. I mean, it's almost like he's Eeyore. Uh-oh. You know, just, just depressed all the time. Life's not fair, then you die. Here's how you deal with life not being fair, and here's how you deal with death. The two inevitables of life. Look what he says. I want you to know this. I want God to show you this. Here is the estate of the sons of men. That they're just like the beasts. <laughs> and there's been people that's taken these verses to use for evolution. That we're just like monkeys. That's not what he's saying here. You can't defend evolution with these verses. We may act like monkeys, but we don't come from monkeys. I saw a thing this week. PETA put out a thing saying we can no longer call people by animal names. So you can't look at somebody and say, you're a big chicken. Bop, bop. They say it's not fair to the chickens for us to use that. So we've got to come up with another name. Before you know it, our sports names won't be able to be animals anymore. It's not fair to the animals. Every team is just going to be the team from Washington. I don't know why I got on, on, on that. but <laughs> What he's saying here is what God wants to show us is that man and animal have one thing in common. One thing. You want to find that one thing? I've already told you what it is. Look what he says. That they might see that they're just like the beasts in verse 18. For that which falls on the son of men falls on the beasts. So that what, what happens to, to men happens to animals. Even one thing befalleth them. What is it? It's not evolution. It's not that they all came from the same thing. It's not that they all evolved. There's one thing that we all have in common with animals. One thing that will befall me and the mouse that I've been fighting in my office. <laughs> He's like my great whale. I turned around the other day from studying. There he was staring me out of the eye. So oh, I'll get you. <laughs> One thing in common between me and the bug that you step on. One thing in common with me and the fly that you swat. What is it? Look what he says. One thing befalleth them. As one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they, they have all one breath. So that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. All is passing. Everybody's dying. That's what he's saying. That This is the problem he's talking about. That we all die. Get this. Death smacks every person. Every animal in the face. Giraffes die. <laughs> Flies die. 
bugs die, mice will die. <laughs> oh, it, it will. Rich people die. Celebrities die. Loved ones die. Spouses die. Parents die. Young people die. Kids die. Mothers die. Fathers die. I will die. You will die. We all die. It shows that we live in a fallen world and we all die. Get this, and I'll probably say this at the end. These are two things that are common in the world we're living in today, but were not common, did not exist in the garden. It was all fair, all right, all life. Then Adam and Eve fell and the world became unjust and the world began to die and that's the world we live in today and it's all going to go away one day. But this is what we're living in now, that our lives are fragile, that I'm just as, my life is just as fragile as a bug. That our lives are like a bubble that could pop at any second. That's how fragile life is. That just like you step on a bug, it could be me getting hit by a car tomorrow. Just like me or trying to catch a mouse in my office. It could be me getting caught in some trap later on. Our lives are just like the animals in one way in that we all die and our lives are fragile. Every single one of us. The f- fragile nature of life and the fleeting. He says it's vanity. It's breath-like. Every single one of us are moving closer and closer to that moment when we stand before God and are judged. And death is out of control. Nothing shows us how out of control our life is like death. We all die and it's out of our control. Do you understand that? Dad was telling me that the other day. He said, Dad, do you know anybody that's ever just sit there and said, I'm going to will myself to die? It doesn't happen. It's out of our control. That's how out of control life is. That death isn't even in our hands. The unfairness of life isn't in our hands. These two things are not under our control. I looked up crazy ways that people die. Now I'm going to give you two of them. There was a mayor that tripped and fell over his own beard. Be careful about growing your beard out. And there was a woman, I'm just going to give you two of them, that, were, that was killed by a pack of savage weenie dogs. Death by a dachshund. You have no control over it. You think she woke up that morning and thought, I'm going to be killed by a pack of savage weenie dogs today. Or the mayor that died tripping over his own beard and falling and dying thought, you know what, I better shave this thing today or it might kill me. He never thought that. And there was, oh, there's a bunch of weenie dogs. They, they, you don't know. It's out of your hands. It's out of control. So the, the unfair part of life, we have to give it to God. And the, the uncontrollable aspect of death, we've got to give that to God too. This is the reality of life. C.S. Lewis was trying to figure this out when his wife died. But we all have to face it. We're all come from the dust and we're all going to the dust. And he wants us to get this. He wants us to understand it. The better we understand death, the better we live life. The better we understand injustice, the better we live life. He's trying to teach us how to deal with these things. How to live in a world that is full of death. 
That everywhere you turn, there's a graveyard with tombstones telling us, reminding us, you die. There's a graveyard that we pass by as we're going to Kingsport. And when Christian was just a little bitty boy, he said, Dad, he'd drive by and he said, if you step foot there, you die. And for the longest time, he thought if you literally stepped on the grass there, you'd die. And we remind him every time we walk, we drive by there. Do you remember when you used to think you'd die if you stepped step foot there? He said, oh, Dad, quit. But it's just a reminder to us, every time we pass by any graveyard or any funeral home, we all die. So the question is, just like how do we deal with injustice, now how do we deal with the inevitability of death? How do we deal with that? That it's coming, it's, it's on the way. Our clock is ticking and we're getting closer and closer to standing before God. What do we do? Here we go. Verse 22, he gives us his answer. <laughs> Verse 22. Wherefore, I perceive that there's nothing better. How do you do it? He say, Here, here's how you do it. There's nothing better than to do this. In the face of death, verse 22, here's how you live. That man should rejoice in his works. Which is saying that man should enjoy the time that he has. I like that. This is the carpe diem of the Bible. Which is the carpe diem of seize the day. Live it. Go all out. Don't hold back. If your life is just this long, live every second of every day like it's your last. Don't hold anything back. Life is short. Live with joy. And I wrote some things down here. How can you live with joy? And and I've tried my best. I've been studying Ecclesiastes. Me and Brandon talked about it months ago. Back in in November, I started studying it. I need to know. Brandon thought I was in a midlife crisis. But I I need to know how to live life. I need to know that. At 40, I'm trying to learn how to live life. And this has been getting deep into my heart. How do we do this? Knowing death is on its way. Enjoy your life while you have it. Let's not be miserable people. Let's not be worrisome people. Let's not be frustrated people. Let's enjoy every second that God gives us. Christians need to enjoy it. We're the only people that can enjoy it because we know what's on the other side of death. Everybody else will fight not to go to death. We'll enjoy up to death. We'll enjoy after death. We can enjoy life. So stop for a moment and enjoy some cake. (laughs) Really? Just enjoy some cake. Go buy a cupcake and eat it. Stick your whole face in it. Enjoy it. Sing loud. (laughs) I just wrote some things down. Dance crazy. (laughs) Throw some stuff down. I went back there. The, I shouldn't tell this. Hold back, Josh. <laughs> Steph was in the nursery back there with, with Hallie trying to get her to sleep before the sermon. Music was playing. Facebook was on. I shut the door and did a dance for her. Just a little, you know. She smiled. I smiled. You know, I just enjoy life. Enjoy it. You say, Josh, that's crazy. In a world that's fallen like this, if you can't have some joy... It's going to be miserable. If you can't dance a little bit, and I know there's some Baptists that's saying, oh, Josh, he said he danced. He's a heretic. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to enjoy life. And I want my kids to do that too. 
I want my kids to be kids, to enjoy it. They'll be grown up like that. Let them enjoy it. Let them have fun. Enjoy it with them. Snow's coming tomorrow. Or or they say. Don't you love these climate change scientists are just as accurate as the weathermen? (laughs) They tell us that the climate's changing. Well, they tell me it's going to snow tomorrow too. About 50% chance of that. But you know snow's coming tomorrow? And I hope it does. Because I'm going to get out there in the snow and I'm going to play and I'm going to jump and I'm going to throw my kids. And if it comes, we're going to have the time of our life in the snow. And I'm going to enjoy the life God's given me. I've got more. Get married. (laughs) Have a whole bunch of kids. Have some grandbabies. I've seen some of you guys. I've never seen some of y'all so happy than when I see you with your grandbabies. I watched Jim the other day at Mills of Love. Smile from ear to ear the entire time. He's, he's pulling those babies, the grandbabies around. Enjoy it. It's wonderful. Amen. I heard a preacher say one time, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I like that, but I'd rather preach the gospel, enjoy life, die, and live in heaven with Christ for eternity. Yes. Enjoy life. Love your wife. Play with your kids. <laughs> I like that. Enjoy life. Enjoy life while you have it. Every second of every day. This is so practical. Wake up in the tomorrow, and then there's people that can't enjoy life because they're so scared of death. Is that not COVID? We can't enjoy life because we're so scared of dying. It's almost like these people haven't read Ecclesiastes. And even in COVID, we try. I, I, I think me and Steph and the kids had the time of our life during COVID. I've never played so much in the yard in my life. Home run derbies and bonfires and just, just enjoying every second of every day. We, we ate s'mores that was the size of our heads. In the midst of a fallen world that is corrupt and diseased and COVID was surrounding us, I had marshmallow all over my face. <laughs> Why can we do that? Because we trust God. And then he says, and I think this is not only about how to live life, I think this is how to face injustice, because look what he says. Rejoice in your own works, for that is his portion. That's the portion that God's given him. You say, what's a portion? Uh, The Hebrew would say it's a lot, where they cast lots. Uh, had, had dice and they, they'd roll them and whatever it fell on, it's out of your hands. It's out of your control. I can't control what the dice are going to land on. So that's what it's saying, that, that our life is it's not in the hands of, of dice, that God has given all of us a, a certain lot or a, a certain portion. And we do that with, you can say portion like, like in food, that me and my kids and, and Steph will get a pizza and we give portions to each kid. It used to be we'd give half a slice to Isaiah. Now we have to give eight and a half slices to Isaiah. So we give him his portion, and, and then, you know, Gracie will get her portion, and, and, and Emma will get hers, and Christian will get his, and, and Hallie isn't eating it yet, and then Steph will get hers, and Daddy's left with the, the crust. And you each have your portion that you get. And that's what he's saying. In life, God has given us all a certain portion. And in that portion, we don't get to choose it. God chooses that for us. God chooses, and, and, and this, is, this is good, He chooses where we are born. Anybody here choose where you're born? You, you don't do that before you're born. You say, I think, I think I'm going to be born in Hawaii. 
They got like to be born in the, you know, the, the 1500s Germany. Nobody, nobody would have done that. You know, I want to be born in, in 2010. I want to be born in 1980. Nobody gets that. God is the one who decides what portion we get. He decides where we're born. He decides what family we're born into. He decides what our racial makeup will be. He decides our attributes. He decides what we'll look like, what our abilities will be, what our gifts will be, what our intelligence will be. He decides all those things, and it's all out of our hands. You'll hear people say, well, it's not fair. I was born here, or I was born there, or I had this, or I had this. That's not fair. No, God has given every one of us a portion, a lot. And He says, whatever lot it is that God's given you, enjoy that lot. Whatever it is, it's all received from God, so accept it and enjoy it. And you may think it's bad. God may have put you in pound. That's great. God's country. God may have put, I ain't going to go, I ain't going to say nothing else. God may have put you somewhere that ain't great. One of those Kazbekistans. I know it's not, it might be a place, I don't know. He may have given you a family with a mom and a dad who stayed together. You had brothers and sisters and grandparents and surrounded by family. Or you may have been born into a broken family. Your lot may be you had the greatest talent. You were 6'9". You were a great athlete. You go on to play in the NBA. Or you may be the tiniest little thing. Couldn't dribble a basketball if you wanted to. God makes He, he decides those things. Not us. You may be in a mansion. Or you may be in a small little house. You may have full capacity with, to be able to, to move and to run and fully healthy. Or you may be handicapped. God decides those things. But he says in whatever portion or whatever lot that God's given you, don't complain about it. Enjoy whatever lot you have. Enjoy whatever portion God's, get, God's given you. That's the life He wants us to live. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it. Because it all comes from God. So that's easy for Solomon to say. He was born into a, a kingly family. He had more money than anybody that ever, that ever lived. He was the smartest man that ever lived. I mean, that's Solomon. He can say that because his portion was so much bigger than everybody else. I live in Big Stone Gap. I make no money. I live in a small house. I have nothing like Solomon. Let me ask you this. What about Jesus? kind of portion did he have get this god sent his son into a fallen world and his lot was he faced injustice like no man has ever faced he had his beard ripped out he faced unfair trials one after the other leading up to his death and he opened not his mouth how could he have done that? He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was born into a family where they thought he was an illegitimate child. That everybody would look at his mom and would say, hey, no, 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 he was born of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, right. He's an illegitimate son. His father, his earthly father Joseph died. We don't know when. Brothers and sisters. Just looking at his life full of injustice, full of death, 
full of just hard times in a fallen world. He had no money. He sent them out to fish for money. You'll find some money in the fish's mouth. He was hated. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He died at 33 years of age. Could have easily said, oh, that's a short life. That's a short life. It's not fair. Where's God in this? How could He do it and not open His mouth? He never once went out with a sign saying, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. He trusted God. And lived a more full life in 33 years than any of us could have lived in 100 years. Never wasted a second. And all that injustice... And God made it right on the third day. You see that? Lived his whole life. And when he saw injustice, he'd say, God will make it right. When he went through a trial, God will make it right. When he went to the cross, God will make it right. And on the third day, God made it right. And we can trust that God will make it right here too. One tree brought ruin and fall in the garden. This tree that he went to brought redemption and a future where we'll be in another garden where there will be no more injustice and there will be no more death. All because of what he did on the cross. God made it right. And God will make whatever's wrong in your life right. He will. So I urge you today, I'm going to say one more thing. I urge you today, in the face of injustice, trust that God will make it right. And in the face of the inevitabilities of life, which is death, live life now while you have it because it's passing away. Jesus Christ, and I'll quote this and we'll close, is the only answer to the injustice and to the inevitability of death in a fallen world. I'm going to say it again just in case you want to write that down. We try everything else, but there's only one answer. Jesus Christ is the only answer to the injustice of this world and to the inevitability of death in this world. So I urge you today, He is the answer. He's the answer for it all. So turn to Him. Put your faith in Him and trust that God will make it all right. And with your faith in Him, trusting in Him for salvation, you can live life. We're the only ones, again, that can live life to the fullest because we know that our death is already taken care of. So Solomon teaches us tonight, I hope, and I know this could have been a very controversial sermon. I get that. But I think Solomon is teaching us how to live life in a fallen world. And I hope it's helped you just a little bit. That you'll talk to yourself tomorrow. Not so much so that people will think you're crazy. But you'll talk to yourself like Solomon did and say in your heart, That God's going to take care of it. Let me give you the two, the two main takeaways. I said I was going to close, but I, I wrote these down in my Bible because I wanted to remember them. If we don't face the reality of injustice, we're going to live a life of anger. And if we don't face the reality of death, we're going to live a life of worry. But if we face that reality of injustice, we can live a life of calm. And if we face the, the reality of death, then we can live a life of peace. So he wants us to get these two things. And I think the world needs these things. 
It's almost like they don't know Ecclesiastes exists. But you do today, so now you can go and live the way God intended for us to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for these little, little, these are gigantic truths that are tucked away in your word. And we've went searching for them. And I, I, I can't tell you why that my heart is just drawn to Ecclesiastes. But I think it's for a good reason. I'm learning a lot. And I pray that I'm teaching out of the overflow of it. That we can live life a little bit better. We can enjoy it a little bit more. We can be a little less angry, a little less worried as we trust these things to you. So God, help us here tonight, those who are in attendance here and even those who are watching online now or will watch later. My whole goal, I have no agenda here just to preach your word. But my goal in preaching this passage tonight was to help people live just a little bit better. Because it's hard to live in this world. It is. So God, help us just to, to live it a little bit better now that we understand these things. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.